All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Rise of Few Workplace Solutions podcast. My name is Natalina. Of course, you know that I am the CEO and founder. Super excited to be here today to talk with Clint Pulver. Um, really, really interesting conversation we're about to have. So make sure that you stay tuned and you listen to the entire episode and webinar. So Clint, thank you so much for joining us. I always love to start by having our guests brag about themselves. So tell us a little bit about what you do and who you are. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a, a, an author and a researcher in the world of leadership, employee retention, and culture. Uh, for the last four years, I've worked as the undercover millennial. It's kind of like an undercover boss without the makeup. Okay. <laughs> for the last four years, I have worked with over 181 organizations. And I've gone in and interviewed over 10,000 employees undercover. Okay. That was a work. I, I am a millennial. And uh, I literally would walk into an organization looking like this. I got my backwards hat on, my, my t-shirt. Uh, and I would go into an organization as someone who was looking for a job. And I'd walk up to the first employee that I saw and I would just say, hey, I'm, I'm just looking for work. Uh, what's it like to work here? Would you recommend it? Okay, so let's talk about that. <laughs> what? <Crazy>. So, okay, so I mean, you, you're familiar with Riser for you. We do a lot of work with culture, company culture. You know, working with organizations to enhance the, the people skills and really to bridge the gap between the people and executives in the whole entire company. Millennials is a big topic, right? So. Uh, millennials today, even today, the iGen, which are the next generation that's following, right? A lot of conceptions, a lot of, you know, different beliefs and perceptions around these two generations, right? And of course, there's, it's with that with every generation. Talk to us a little bit about like, what first spawned the idea to go undercover as a millennial, and then walk us through what exactly happened and why did you do it? What was the intent of it all? Yeah, the beautiful thing was to get the truth. Right. I, the unfortunate thing is most managers have no idea that they're doing poorly because there's no incentive for an employee to speak honestly, to get feedback, to help that manager to be better. Right. The incentive is, is you're going to get blacklisted or you're going to get talked about, or you're going to be called the dramatic one. There's no incentive for me to be honest. And you know, so many managers, they sit down with their employees and they say, well, how can I be better for you? you know, what, what can we do for you as a company? And you know, most employees say, no, no, you're doing great. You know, it's awesome. You know, it, Keep it up. But what the employee wants to say is you undervalue me. You're constantly demeaning. You, you micromanage everything. You know, when we when we win as a team, you take all the credit. When, when we lose or something goes wrong, you blame everybody else. And I'm looking for another job right now. That's what so many employees want to say. And again, what we have done is we have captured the truth of 10,000 employees who knew when their leaders were getting it right. And it was the unscripted truth. It wasn't a survey. It wasn't, you know, some data analysis. It was real authentic research into what they really felt. And we've been able through the 10,000 employees that we've researched to find what was working. You know, that was the magic of the research. It's not when an employee was dissatisfied. The magic was when an employee would say, I love it here. I love my job. Like my manager, Susie, she's amazing. You should apply. And then when that would trend, in an organization, employee after employee after employee. And that's uh, that we have the new book that's coming out and that's why I titled it, I Love It Here. Uh, because when an employee would respond in that way without being incentivized, without you know the opportunity of a promotion, they just truly felt that. How do we recreate that? How do we create a workspace where people don't just survive 
that they can actually thrive. So tell me, you know, out of the 10,000 people that you interviewed, what was the percentage, if you know offhand, that said, I love it here, or that said, you know, poor, you know, positivity on, on the company? Do you, do you have that by chance, just out of curiosity? Yeah, so we're about 35% out of the 10,000, only about 35% of employees actually said, I love it here. Okay, so that's pretty, that's pretty standard with the Gallup research, right? That about 70% of the American population are miserable at work. That's right. Let's write in line it. So tell us the secrets. So the 35% that said, I love it here, why? Well, you know, what were some of those things that the leaders or the company was doing that was, you know, valuable or important or long lasting for them? Yeah, I think we talk a lot about, you know, leadership. Leadership is the, is the, is the helm. Leadership drives the culture. But it wasn't so much leadership. And it wasn't so much management. The key, the, the real magic of all of the research and in what built employee engagement and loyalty that actually lasted was mentorship. Mentorship. And, and mentorship is something that has to be earned. It's not a title. You can't be promoted into it. You have to earn it. And mentorship versus management was a unique thing because we found four types of bosses in every organization. And the mentor manager, someone who was equally high on their standards and their expectations of their employees, but they were also equal in their ability to connect. To get to the part about the person, and everybody calls it soft skills or you got to love your people, but it's really just, it's human skills because every employee is asking you as a boss, let me know when it gets to the part about me. And, and every manager hears that, a lot of them, they go, those entitled little shining stars in my life, right? <laughs> like, let me know when it gets to the part about me. And I, I would say it's not so much about entitlement as it is about good business. And these people, these managers that have the ability to step into the role of a mentor, they had five characteristics that we were able to pin to someone who was called a mentor. And those five, we call them the five C's of mentorship. And number one was they were confident, confident in their ability to lead, confident in the direction that the team needed to go. Second, they were credible. They had history. Like if you're the manager at the car dealership, you had history as a salesperson at the car dealership. You understood the software, you understood the logistics, you understood the sales process. You had credibility in that. The third C was competence. You know, it's one thing to know everything about the game of basketball. It's another thing to be able to get out on the court and shoot a hoop. Uh, they were practitioners in the job. They jumped in and they were part of the team, not just somebody who sat back and barked orders. They were in their abilities. Uh, number four, candor. They had the ability to create relationships that were so strong that honesty could exist. Yeah. If I want to mentor someone, uh, and then I, I don't want to go to someone that's going to just blow smoke or someone that's going to tell me how wonderful I am. I want someone that's going to grow me, that's going to help me improve. And great mentors have that ability to have those candid conversations. And then, and then the last C is care. Care, the ability to truly care. It's the difference between advocating for somebody and developing somebody. Getting to the heart, getting to that part about them. And when people knew that they were truly valued as individuals, not just cogs in a wheel, that you care about who I am and what I can become, you help spark the possibility. Because of you, I get to write a better story. And when an individual stepped into that role and became a mentor, that's what employees talked about. That's who people worked for, not the organizations. They worked for the mentors. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, 
the five the five C's that you just said because we have a model called leading with heart H E A R T that has, is an acronym for that. Um, but confidence, which is the first C that you said, based off of our research, eighty two percent of professionals struggle with confidence. It's like a huge challenge in the workplace that makes a huge impact on how we show up, whether you're entry level or leader, it doesn't matter, right? It, it impacts how we behave. Um, and also our ability to mentor, because if we're not confident in us, how do we feel confident, you know, guiding other people? I, I guess my, my question for you is, and this is a question that, you know, we're constantly talking about with executives and, and we work with leaders is, when do you stop, right? And, and this is an interesting question of, how long do you mentor before you say, hey, it's just not working? Or if it's not working, is it because the leader needs to change their method and do something wrong? So like, where is that line? I'm just curious on your opinion on that. Yeah, I think it can be both, right? Sometimes it's, it's on the employee, sometimes it's on the manager. It depends, it's all a situational type thing. But it is your job as a manager, sometimes you gotta coach people in, but sometimes you gotta coach people out. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, and it always just depends. I think so many times managers are put into a management position because you were promoted. <laughs> you, know, uh, you, you killed it in sales or you killed it in customer service. And You're competent. Yeah. We're just going to promote you into management. But we don't give them the training. We don't give them the development. So how are they supposed to be confident? How are they supposed to you know, know how to mentor or continue on in a mentorship-like manner if they have no idea what that means, if they don't know, if they're not trained on how to do that? Yeah. And so I think, it, you know, if you're a leader and you're watching this, it, it starts always with leadership, right? That is the helm. That is what moves a culture uh, and keeps it there. Obviously, it's going to be situational with an employee, but are your leaders being trained on how to do that? Yeah. How to, how to, how to, how to lead better? And I like that you said it can be both because often we see the, ex the extreme end of leadership. So uh, either they're really, really, they're really hard, right? And so there's not really any mentorship that's happening. There's not coaching. There's no transformation that's happening, okay? Or the complete opposite where, I don't want to say there's too much empathy, but it's to a point where they don't create a boundary. And so then the employee like oversteps that boundary and now they become a liability, right? So I think it's super important, as you said, of like being in the middle. So knowing how to mentor, knowing how to coach, knowing how to help support the individual, but also knowing when to make the decision and knowing how to navigate when, when something is not working, right? And then how to adjust as a leader, super important. Yep, we call it the difference between standards and connection, right? They've both got to be there. You've got a product and a profit that you need to make as an organization, but you've also got human beings that have hearts and lives outside of work. Yeah. So you got to balance. Yeah, absolutely. So for, for everyone that's listening right now, what would you say is the first step, right? Is it is it that the corporations need to get leadership training in there and build a model? Is it that the individual needs to start building, you know, these types of skills? Where would you say is the first step? for a company that doesn't have these things infused. Because I'll tell I know I'm speaking to the choir here, but there's a lot of companies that don't have this in place, right? It's like they have leaders and they're like, go do it. <laughs> and that's where we get into trouble. So what would you say is the first step? Yeah, I think I think for every every company is going to be different. Every company is in a different place. Uh, they have different personnel. Some are large, some are small. But one thing that is, is for certain is the power of what I call a status interview. Uh, You've heard that angel adage, right? If you, if you feed a man a fish, then you feed him for a day. But if you can teach the guy, if you can teach a man how to fish, then you feed him for a lifetime. Every time I hear that story, man, I go, who said the guy want a fish? <laughs> like, who said he wanted a fish? I'm not really a fish guy. Uh, 
I think sometimes in, in leadership and management and in culture, we assume that we know what the employee wants. Yeah. We assume that we know, like, you know, you read, you read a book, you took a course, or you did some certification weekend getaway golf trip, and you had a mastermind. And so we come in with guns a blazing on this is the direction, and this is what we're going to do. But we've never taken the time to actually ask our people. I came from the medical background, and one thing that they would always refer to in the OR is the status. What's the status of the patient? What's the status of the individual? And what they're really referring to are what are the vital signs, right? What's the heart rate, the body temperature, the blood pressure, uh, the respiratory rate? Those things determine if you're alive or not. But the, but the vital signs determine treatment. So what you do is you check the vitals, then you treat. And then what you what do you do? You recheck the vitals and you treat again. And you do that until you gain healthy stability long-term. The same thing needs to happen in an organization. And I think uh, status interviews are a great, great way to do that, to build an opportunity where you and your employees, your team, your leadership, you ask how they're doing. You ask it, you check in. What do you need? Uh, there's three questions that we found that great leaders in some way, shape, or form asked a variation of, of these three things. Number one is what can we do as an organization to keep you here? to keep you in this organization. You go to your all-star employees, I think we're coming up to the 2021 job churn. 2021, all employees hunkered down. But this this, this crisis that we're in has given everybody the chance to think. Mm. And when we come out of this, I think we're gonna have a huge exodus, a big surge of a lot of people that their job, how it used to be, is not the way it is now. Right. Or it's changed, or it's, it's, we're gonna see some differences. And so go to your all-star players, your great employees, and conduct the status interview and ask them, what can I do to keep you here? Second, ask them, what's getting in the way of your success? What is it? Is it, is it Jenny, who's in management? Is it our employee schedule? Is it our, our pay structure? Like, what is getting in the way of you being successful in this organization? And then number three, what can I do as your leader, as your manager, what can I do to help you get there? If you ask those three questions, you take the time to, to, to create a moment, right? Employees remember moments. They do not remember days. You create that opportunity to have that conversation and get that honest feedback and then actually listen to it and implement that. I think you are well on your way to creating an organization where people are seen, they're heard, and they're advocated for. Yeah. And we, we need more of that. That last part was really important, was to be able to implement, right? So not only have the conversation but because you know there's a lot of times where you have the conversation and then it creates more frustration because the information just sits right it's like oh we're doing another conversation we're having another survey but there's never any you know execution that occurs so that last part was super important clint i love what you're up to obviously there's a lot of resonance between what we do here at rise up for you and what you're doing i'd love to jump into the power section of the interview and ask, you know, just a couple rapid questions. The first one being, um, we always like to ask if you were to leave the world with one final message, we like to call it the golden nugget. What would your golden nugget be to us? I would say it's not about being the best in the world. It's about being the best for the world. Mm. It's the difference between success and significance. And what would you say is a top value for you? Something that's a complete non-negotiable. say enthusiasm i know that sounds a little bit weird but but choosing to see the good choosing to be enthusiastic despite, despite the, the hardship mm -hmm. yeah enthusiasm okay 
And one more question, but before I jump into that, I want to ask you, you know, tell us a little bit more about where we can find you, you know, where's the book, if people want to connect, what's the best way of doing that? I appreciate that. So the book is available for pre-order right now on Amazon. It's titled, I Love It Here, How Great Leaders Create Organizations That People Never Want to Leave. And uh, people can connect with me at clintpulver.com and uh, hit me up on the website and happy to connect with, with anybody. Great. Wonderful. Thank you, Clint. And lastly, as you know, we are rise up for you. So I always like to ask what comes to mind when you hear that phrase? What's the first thing that just pops in? Uh, significance. You're rising up for others. It's about being the best for others. That's what it means. I love that. Clint, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an honor to have you on the show. Thank you everyone for joining on the podcast, Workplace Solutions. Honored to have you here and we will see you next time.